Hello, hello, and happy new year, everyone. Welcome to this very first episode of 2023 of Angle on Producers. As always, I am your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, I am so grateful you're still here, tuning in, doing this live thing with me. If you don't already, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Write a review, leave a comment, tell a friend, tag a friend, share, spread the word. It, it really makes a difference and helps us build our community even stronger. If you don't already, follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Angle on Producers. So happy new year, my dear listener. I, I hope your end of year was restful and that you're showing up ready for whatever the year has in store for you. I enjoyed a very epic European vacation with my family. That was a once in a lifetime opportunity. We don't really vacation in Europe. That's not really something I grew up doing. So this was a big, big trip for us. And it was remarkable. It was a lot of adjectives that could describe amazing, but amazing really kind of sums it all up. We got to visit family. We went to on a river cruise and got to visit Christmas markets, went to Florence. So I, I've come back, certainly not rested, right? Because I did too much in three weeks, five countries, 10 cities. It's too much, but I am reinvigorated. I think I've come back with a sort of blank slate to take into this new year. And so I'm stoked to be back in action and excited to bring you some new episodes this year. Um, one thing to note is I am getting married in March, so the episodes will slow down for a minute, but then in April we'll pick back up. So uh, there won't be new episodes in March, but hopefully come April we'll be back in action, back to the full swing of the show. I'm also heading out to Park City next week for the Sundance Film Festival, and I'll be doing a live from Sundance special edition of the show, which can I just tell you, has been a dream of mine since I started the show. I've been trying to make this happen for years and the stars have finally aligned. And so I will be bringing some exciting conversations live from the festival in the coming weeks. So keep your eyes peeled and your ears clean for that. <laughs> so jumping into this episode, I, I'm just so freaking excited to kick off the year with my chat with UK producer Joy Garraro Akpajotur. Oh, Joy, how did I do? Gosh, I hope I did okay. She's a true multi-hyphenate. She produces, writes, directs. She runs Joy Productions, a company primarily focused on queer, black, and female work. In 2019, she produced the hit Blue Story, which became the top grossing film of its genre. In 2020, she was named a Screen International Star of Tomorrow and a BAFTA Breakthrough, as well as Joy Productions receiving a BFI Vision Award. At the end of 2021, she produced Amel Amin's debut, Boxing Day, the first all-black Christmas film out in the UK. Most recently, Joy produced Champion for the BBC and Netflix, and in 2022, Ringside Studio acquired a stake in her production company. Speaking with Joy was especially wonderful because she has such a unique background. She's got an incredible perspective, and her origin story has given her a really clear vision for the kind of stories she wants to bring to life. I have to say it. It's a joy to bring you this episode with joy. <laughs> so we'll dive deep into how getting her start outside of the industry's mainstream helped benefit her work, how being kind and treating people well gets you further, and how challenges such as seeking asylum and being homeless drove her to succeed. So without further ado, here's Joy. I'm excited to have you on. Um, you know, I've been doing the show for a while. I've had over 80 episodes and there's been a lot of incredible women who've come on the show. But one of my goals for this new year is to really 
diversified the perspectives that we have on the show and yeah. predominantly um, obviously black and queer, but also just from another country, you know, just like how the industry differs um, in a different place. And also you seem to be very young compared to a lot of the ladies I've had on the show who are sort of at whatever part of their career you want to call it. And so I think you're going to bring a really interesting um, perspective to the conversation. <laughs> and I'm just so excited to have you on. So thank you for saying yes and being here. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So I always like to start just at the beginning, you know, at what point did you discover this this business, right? Because you're a writer, you're a director, you're a producer. Have you always been dabbling in parts of this in some way since forever? And then was there a moment where it was a clear distinction for you of like, okay, I'm going to go follow this and figure out what that means? Yeah, definitely. I am. So when I was younger, I used to love writing. I actually wanted to be a writer first, kind of fell into producing and back to writing now, but I wanted to be a writer. And um, I was like, so when I was 11, I wrote this book called The Vampire Busters. Um, It was just like, you know, I guess Ghostbusters, Vampire Busters, same difference. (laughs) And and I was, because I grew up in Nigeria and Brunei. Yeah. So I was in Nigeria and I wrote this book and the teacher said to my mom, oh, your daughter's going to be a really good writer one day. My mother was like, there's no money in writing. Yeah. She's not going to be a writer. She can't be a writer. So like, I remember when I turned like, I turned 16 was when I, was when I discovered cinema. Um, so in the UK, we used to have this thing called Orange Wednesdays and Orange Wednesdays was like a two for one ticket, cinema ticket. If you, if you were on the, um, if if your contract phone line was with Orange, which is the company they've, they've gone bust now, but I would go I would go with a friend and I would just stay in the cinema all day because technically you're meant to leave. Or we just like <laughs> sneak through each screen. Yeah, and that was when I was like, oh my god, I need I want to make films. <clears throat> I want to make all the films. Um, and then so I went to university, and that was kind of where I found my love for cinema. Because I did a course called um, it was it was more of a it, it was more of a crit, film critic course I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was film studies and we did everything from French New Wave to um, I don't know francophone cinema and so we learned this wide range of cinema and that was when I was like, okay I want to be I want to make films but. I was like, oh, okay, I want to be a writer. I still want to be a writer. So I, I, I went to go do a creative course in writing for my master's. And somewhere along the line, I ended up producing a short film because I, because a friend, I was working in a betting shop and a friend at the time was like, oh, he's got somebody who wants to make a film. And because I was studying film, I was like, oh, okay, well, you, you, you can, can do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, fine, I'll produce a short film, which I did. And I remember one of the actors was like, oh, you could be a good producer. I was like, why? She said, because you're honest. Like, okay, fine. But wait, so um, when, when you were given this thing to produce, like, how do you figure out how to put it together? How did you have the gumption to go, okay, yeah, I'll just figure it out? Well, I, I, I knew, like, what went where. Like, when I, my university course, we had, like, a module where we made a short with everyone. So okay. I sort of knew which roles were which. Um, and then the actual doing of it was more, um, I don't know, I come from a hustling background. So yeah. I was like, 
You just what find a need? way. <laughs> yeah. To find a way. Need a flat, I'll find a flat. We need some access, I'll find some access. Um, the internet is beautiful. You can find so many different things on there. Yeah. Um, and and negotiate. Just like tell people how much money I have, and it is what it is. Um, but I think that's where the honesty came into it because I I was kind of very um straightforward, honest. I wasn't trying to sort of like um not be who I was. I guess most of the time. But what really got me, what what really made me go, okay, I want to be a producer. I read Christine Vachon's A Killer, A Killer Life. Yeah. And I was, okay, I want to do this because this sounds crazy. <laughs> like, no day's ever the same. This is me all the way. Um, I mean, it did not sound easy at any point in time, but I just kind of felt like there was something about being able to create stuff um, from inception and see you going into the world and because I had a love for stories when I was younger, I love reading books all the time. It felt like an, a nice evolution mm. to to life. So that was, I think I was about like 23 when I read that book. And I was like, okay, my life, I'm going to be a producer. And I remember my family kind of going, you could just go work at the BBC or ITV. I was like, no, I want to be who I want to be. I'm going to try and figure it out. I'm going to make it work. I guess, you know, I'm here now. So, And you're here now. But so then when you made that pivot, were you still writing in, in the background? Was that still a focus for you? Yeah, I was still writing in the background. But like, in in a way, it wasn't at the time. I sort of like, I had ideas, but I put them to one side. Mm. And I wasn't even like, and directing wise, I was actually doing more stuff in theater. Mm. So I was writing and directing plays. Um, but again, plays that is off my own back in terms of I'll apply for some money get it put it all together so I was kind of like producing my own plays as well um and I was just like doing these things as a way partly as a way to learn but also as a way to just continue to be creative and to tell stories um and I I guess because at the time I didn't understand what the industry was like quote-unquote industry I, I was very much working outside of the industry I would say it's a little in the past four years that I'm in the industry properly so at the time I was just like doing stuff and I kind of find there's some freedom in that because um there's no such thing as no mm-hmm. when you're doing it in that way because there's so many different avenues and now that I'm in the industry obviously like you've got to do things in a particular way but I realized when 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 people say no I think some people take it as like oh no one's ever going to make my film and you're like, well, no, they're like so many different ways to make it. Like if I was making stuff outside, sure I can make it inside. So I think it just really gave me a different perspective on how to make stuff. Um, and also like seeing different kinds of audiences as well. Mm. Um, so I was doing, I was writing by theater. It was like later on, I kind of came back into film. Yeah. So there is a loss of freedom, right? With like when you're on the outside, to your point, you kind of get to make the rules. Like there's, and also in a way, no one's paying attention. They are, but they're not, (laughs) right? Like you're doing your own thing. Like you can fail and no one's going to like hold it to you. So now that you are, you know, like you said, four years into being in the industry, what is the, the pros and cons of that? You know, because I think a lot of people who listen who maybe are on the outside are also hungry, right, to get to the next level. And I think there is a, I have at least a nostalgia, right, for that part of my life, of my journey, 
when you were still just like hustling and figuring shit out and like finding your way. And there was, I don't know that it's not easy, but there's a joy in that Mm. because it's, especially if you are like you and I sound similar where we sort of carved our own paths. Like I didn't work at any traditional place. I came out to LA not knowing anyone. I didn't work at an agency. I didn't even go Mm. to film school. So I didn't have any network. I had to really create, create it all from scratch. And it just takes a much longer time to build it brick by brick yourself. But During it, you're it's miserable, right? But when on, you're on the other side of it, it's like sometimes I long for those days where things felt easier, even though they yeah. were so hard. I'm with you in that. So I'm, I think the concept, especially that, is like because because. Mm, how do I say? So like when I when I wasn't in the industry, there was so many things that you could do where you were not restricted, and 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 that was even when it came to production because you could be more innovative. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't have roles. Yeah. I'm, I think because I'm just saying there's certain, there's certain ways that people make film and TV that I feel actually don't um, enhance the creative process at times. And I think that when you're not, when you're doing it your own way, you have more leniency and you can figure out a way that actually helps the creative process. Um, I, I always say like making creating stuff doesn't have to be so painful all the time. Mm-hmm. I think we just kind of make it really painful. Um, so I think for me, what I miss is that kind of freedom, the freedom to be able to create and the freedom to actually be able to work with different kinds of people mm-hmm. and to give people opportunities. Because now that I'm in it, it's, it's harder to give people opportunities because everyone wants to see that long CV. Or like um, the one to see, um, like suddenly passion doesn't count anymore. Because I think when I, the films that we made when I was in the industry, was, it was just people who just really wanted to make films. Yeah. And they may not have had like 20 films or 20 TV shows, but they would give you a thousand times more than anybody else would because right. they were passionate about making. I kind of miss, I miss the passion that came from not being in there. I think when you kind of go into it, um, some of that passion goes but the pros are it is more structured there is more accessibility to financing and I think one of the big pros from actually being in the industry is that thing around the business of film you know because essentially we are we are a business and I think mm-hmm. within that um for me it's definitely been helpful to think more about the business of film I think when you're not in the industry you're just sort of like you're a little bit cowboy, mm-hmm. fine. Um, but now I'm like, okay, part of me is like, how can I be cowboy but structured at the same time? <laughs> like, how can I take some of what I've learned? And most of what I've learned from that is really, again, I think about um, no doesn't always mean no. And just like, that just means this person doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Let me go somebody somewhere else. But also it, not being in industry taught me how to sell. Because when you're hustling, you really just, you, you're really hustling. Yeah. So I think sometimes, um, I think now when I know, when I go into spaces, I know how to pitch stuff. Mm-hmm. Because, because I learned the art of um, selling, um, because you had no other choice but to. Yeah, exactly right. It's, impre- it's, 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 it's incredible what, what you'll do if you have enough gumption and hustle towards a goal and really there's nothing stopping you and you're going to keep going until yeah. you get to that yes because 
you're the only one who wins at the end of the day. Like you're not yeah. doing it for a boss or for any other mandate. It's like for, for a lot of people that it becomes like that's you live and breathe achieving mm -hmm. that. Right. So then it just becomes yeah. almost like a, a, an obsession of like by any means necessary. Um, and, and so I do think like this idea of not taking no for an answer is interesting and it's important to dive into because I would, I would caution people from hearing that and, and thinking that it means they have to like, stalk someone or be you know or, no. <laughs> or or like or just be extreme in their pursuits right i think it's like a door may close but it doesn't mean it's closed forever and also like yeah. you shouldn't go where you're not wanted anyway right yeah. so if you're yeah. getting that yeah. no or that maybe or that whatever and you're like forcing something what are you going to create from that place mm -hmm. like is it really going to be worth it in the end if you're putting that much energy and gumption into making it even happen to even get to that starting point. So I always like to tell people, you know, that there, especially for like writer director, sometimes there's this desperation of like, Oh, I just got to find a producer. I just got to find the money. I just mm. got to find the thing. And it's like, well, it's a creative marriage. You can't just find the mm -hmm. thing. Like you have to really be mindful and judicious about making sure it's the right thing. And it takes time. Yeah, It takes time. And so it that takes. patience, right, to like really make sure the alignment is correct, I, I often feel is where when people have a bad experience with a producer and they go, well, that producer screwed me over. Mm. Or that person didn't care. They weren't passionate about my project. It's like, well, maybe it wasn't a good match to begin with. Yeah. And you, you know, know? I, I, I just come back on two, two of those things. The thing about the no is not. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think one person tells you no, I think you also have to listen to what to why they have why they've given you a no and to understand what that no is because it also helps you to reshape your project and to go yeah. somewhere else. I think it's like someone said to me, no note is a bad note, even if you think it's a bad note, it's coming from somewhere. Yeah. You have to understand the place it's coming from for you to understand what that note really means, even if you don't agree with it. Correct. Um so the same thing with the no is like you need to understand why they're saying no. Mm -hmm. And and then I guess take that no and maneuver and readjust the project and mm -hmm. to go somewhere else or to go back to them. But like even if it, as I was saying about alignment, I think that is such an important thing. And a lot of younger directors and writers that I meet or have met and meet still meet now, there is that thing of, oh, I need, I need a producer. But it's like it's it's more than that. It's more about like it's a relationship. We're, we're going to be together for the next five, six, seven, eight, who knows how long, how many years. Yeah. And we have to get on. So it's not as simple as um, you're, you're a producer, you're on it. It's like, no, if, if I don't get on with you, because I think I've been in situations where when, with two directors, I learned the hard way of like, okay, you really need to be making the same film and you really need to be um, on the same journey with that project. Because if you're not, it doesn't end well. Yeah, it it really it never ends well. And the only thing we can control is the journey to get to the mm -hmm. end of the process, right? So, like, why not make the journey as best as you can? Because it's going yeah. to be, it's going to be challenging no matter what, it's even with the right, even with the right people, you know? So, like, at least you're in the trenches with people that you can look to and go, this sucks, right? This is hard. Like, yeah. we, we want to throw in the towel. We're going to keep going. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Just like sleep it off, dust yourself off yeah, and keep exactly. going the next day. Um, 
But I want to I want to focus on you know you you've very clearly said you have this beautiful statement of your vision right and that your vision is to create commercial content featuring Black queer female voices especially those that have not been seen in the UK. Um, at what point in your journey did you hone in on that vision so clearly? Um, so I was under. I mean, I must have been. I was around. Uh, 30 I think I just turned 30 and I was in this course called Simonoic which was sort of like it was aimed at producers independent producers and focus on how to be sustainable and within it there was a section on like you know the company's USP who are you at the time I had just like left working with this um, um, director working with for quite a while I'm trying to figure out who I was and what I why why I became a producer in the first place. Um, and one of the things that stuck out to me, which I was thinking back to why I actually started producing was because it could find stuff in the UK that where I could see myself in. I couldn't I couldn't find work that okay, it's, it's black, it's queer, it's female, whether all in one or separately, or it was very particular. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I was so in doing that course, I, I remember thinking to myself, what are the things that I want to see and what are the things I want to make? And I've always had this belief that you can be artistic and commercial at the same time. The two do not have to be exclusive. I think sometimes people think art house means you can't make money. And right. I think there's a, there's a space in which you can do that, where you can be artistic and you can also be commercial. And you can also be saying something with your work as well. So that was when I figured for myself that that was what I wanted to be as a company. I wanted to focus on um, a space that I felt wasn't really being tapped into. The irony was at the time, people felt like it was a little bit too niche. Mm. Um, but now where we are, everyone is kind of doing it, which is kind of interesting. Funny, right? But um, it's funny <laughs> The niche is now the that everyone's doing it it's uh, this industry is so wild it's just a crazy place seriously (laughs) and my focus at the time was just like I wanted to work with like people who and you know the commercial part of it was for me was also about like I wanted to to focus on the UK cinematic landscape it was like okay what are we putting out in cinemas and how can we diversify that coming from the UK but then also how do we push that globally as well? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in the past maybe a couple of years, that's definitely my vision is refined more to the global part. I think when I first started, it was more like locally, how can we tell stories that um, people haven't seen, whether it be on TV or in, yeah. in cinemas? And, and oh, at least how can we take genre? Because we're very, I'm very into genre. How can we take genres that people know? Just give it a little twist, you know, whether that be this is a character you haven't seen in a genre that you know so well and just make it feel like every day. So that's, I guess that's that when I was 30, but I say in the past couple of years, it's definitely evolved and changed. And um, it feels like it's more of a UK for global sort of thing I'm focusing on now. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so then how do you go about finding and selecting projects? Are you still, do you get a lot of incoming calls or are you like, (laughs) how's that going? We do get a lot of stuff. I mean, I guess, do you know what? I mean, it, it's a blessing in the sense that, like, we, I think we are, like, one of the, maybe if not the only, like, 
fully queer company, like production company in like, doing stuff in the UK. I feel like we are. I could be wrong. Who knows? Um, mm. But in terms of that, that visibility, so that means we do get a lot of like queer or immigrant or sort of like food stuff. So it's always like the same sort of evolving door. But I think so. I think what what people enjoy about us in terms of working with us is the it's our point of view. Mm. um because of those three things because my thing is always like I'm not adverse to taking risks I can work with people who you know it doesn't always work out but my sort of belief is that the hardest thing to have is a good idea Mm. the 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 format or how you write it to an extent that can be taught um and like like you know don't so come in and do a first pass if it's their idea, but I haven't written before. And you're bringing somebody else to finish off. Like if they've got an amazing idea, it's usually the hardest thing to come across. So I'm always a bit like, I don't care if you're an actor, a painter, a sculptor. If you've got a great idea, we'll do it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a longer process, but we'll do it. Uh, so I think having that kind of very open door policy around where our ideas come from comes from help. Um, but that means we get a lot of a lot of stuff that comes in, um, which some are good, some are great. But I guess because of that, and because we're very mindful about how we work with people, um, and we have a lot of care in there, we're, we're quite all about nurturing mm. and finding that sustainable relationship. So we we do sort of get people um, always come back and who are happy to work with us. I guess. That's 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 where we kind of yeah. figure out how we work. And one thing I find interesting about your journey from like the research I did on you is is something that I, I talk a lot about on the podcast is like if you're coming up in an independent route and you're carving your own lane, this idea that, you know, within the umbrella of producing, there's so many shades, right? And line producing is such an important skill set for any creative producer, in my humble opinion. I don't think you need to necessarily want to do that job forever, but mm. knowing execution and and actually understanding physical production is your greatest asset as a creative producer because it's going to make you stronger it's going to make you help Mm -hmm. you know work with creatives in a much more um just streamlined way and i love that you have had those experiences and it sounds like from the very first short that you were like figuring it out which again it it mirrors my own experience where i you know first thing i ever produced was a a play actually as well in in, in la and i just was like found the stage, licensed the show that I wanted to do, found a found a, a financier who gave me money and just kind of figured it out, right? And then yeah. from there, it was like every friend with the short was like, produce my short because you're really good at this. But I didn't know what I was doing. And I did b- budgets on like, excel spreadsheets and just like tracking stuff like literally like like one plus one equals two, you know? Yeah. Um, And it, it evolves and it graduates. But um a lot of people come to me and say, oh, I want to be a creative producer. And I think that's fantastic. But they don't necessarily have interest in learning other aspects of producing that I think are going to get them there and make them, again, stronger. So I'd love for you to just speak a little bit about that journey, um, you know, because you, you've worn so many hats and now you have this company. And I would venture to say that that baseline that you have and that you bring is part of what artists feel, right? Like you just understand, you understand it in a much more, a much bigger way. So yeah, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's, I think that's quite, that's completely true. I think um, people feel like 
um, I know what I'm talking about <laughs> when I'm talking about like here's how to make it. But I also think that's a value for me, part of the pros of not being in the industry because um, when my my me learning about budgeting really came from me watching some other live producer do it. I, I have no idea when I first started. I mean, I did a short like you an Excel sheet and just like oh this goes here and whatever. Um, and then we made a short film on like £35,000 like years ago. And uh, the line producer on that, he, you know, he had, um, he had movie magic. But honestly, I didn't understand that because I was like, I don't know what this is. But, um, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but, but, but I took that, put that on Excel and sort of learned like by myself. Um, moving things around, figuring out what went where. Mm-hmm. And so when there was a next short, a, a next feature, equally about 35, 40K, um, and I did that budget on Excel, it was a much bigger team. And I mean, that was so low budget, but so I was really banking on people's graces and people's um, kindness mm-hmm. and everything else. But But what that did teach me was the value of people when working on, on production and the idea that like as you know there's some the there I remember a producer once said to me when I was when I was like starting out that I couldn't be a good producer because I was too kind I was too mm. nice and it was like being nice is you know you're never gonna make it uh and I, and I was like oh so I gotta be mean I don't understand why I got, I got I can't be nice but I think by being kind that's what's got me to where I am because also by understanding people and I think working in that way um, especially when you have no money, you're making people fly five different countries to get to one because it's the cheapest ticket available. You really need them to be on your side. So for me, on a production side, the most valuable thing to me are people and how we treat people. And so on set, I always try to not be seen as a producer. And and I never actually tell people I'm the producer until people are like, oh, where's the producer? And I'm like, oh, I'm here. And you're like, oh my God. All the things I just said, I'm like, it's fine. Like, be yourself. Like as long as, like, as as long as you're not, you know, doing things that are inappropriate or wrong, then that's fine. Yeah. But at the end of the day, whether I'm here or not here, you're gonna say what you're gonna say. Like if the food is terrible, you're gonna say the food is terrible. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not a, yeah. a thing. If you're enjoying this podcast, make sure you check out Creatives Offscript, a podcast featuring interviews with top creatives from all industry. From the number one commercial director in the world, to the global head of marketing for Peloton, to artists featured at the Pompidou in Paris, you can hear amazing stories of success and creative inspiration. Find the Creatives Offscript on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen. For me, the value of having that experience, on-set experience, physical production experience, also means that when it comes to the creative side of things, um, when I'm working writers and directors, the conversation is slightly different. It means that I can I can come to it when I when I'm when I'm asking them to make certain decisions, and also it helps being a writer as well. When I'm asking them to make certain decisions, um, I can either talk to them as with my creative writing hat on, or I can be practical and kind of say, "We are never going to get five million or whatever it is. Like, yeah, we could get three, and on three we could do A, B, C, D. But currently, what you're writing is beyond our means." And I think they do trust me because I have done it. And so it does make sense. And also, I guess I always say to people, like, 
as long as you know what your story is, changing where things happen doesn't have to change your story. Yeah. So if you set it on a rooftop, but we can't afford a rooftop and you got to put it in a house, your story isn't really changing right, unless right, I don't know, yeah. the rooftop comes alive. I don't know, but I think there's, <laughs> there's <laughs> but I think, you know, there's, there's something around having those, the, the, the experience on set, but also the right to experience that actually helps when um, I'm working with the creatives. Yeah, I I think there's so much beauty in what you just said, and so much of it resonates with me. And I, I, I can't speak for the UK, but certainly in America or in Hollywood, let's get really specific, I think there's this romanticized idea of what a producer is. And I think we've all watched Entourage mm. and we all have like a, a stereotype of right, what a producer needs to be like to get things done. And it's typically mm. a white cis male throwing things at people. Um, and I certainly think that that was perhaps how it was and it had to be back mm. in the day. But I, I agree with you that kindness gets you so much further. And it also, um, you know, it, again, talking about the journey, like that's the only part you can control. And when you're on set, how you're dealing with people, how you're dealing with those challenges, like we all have the same goal, right? Some people, mm -hmm. like I always like to say, I can't make people be better, better versions of themselves, but I can, I can, sh I can change how I show up. And people, of course, try your patience and not everyone is kind yeah. back, right? But I think especially where I've been on sets most of my career as a line producer, there sometimes is that perception of like, oh, well, line producers are no person and they're mm. just here to like get in the way and I can't trust them with the money. And it's like the goal is exactly the same, right? And it's like you want to give everything, but you can't. You have to be judicious and like look at all the puzzle and how it's all going to fit together. To, yeah. yeah. And I think when you do that from a place of kindness, it's it's infinitely better. I, I was on um, Honk for Jesus last year was one of the films I produced with the Igbo twins who are also mm -hmm. Nigerian. And I remember <laughs> being on that set in Atlanta and um, I had one of the department heads at one point she, you know, she was going through some stuff and she was kind of like being weird and not showing up to work. And I pulled her aside and I was like, what's up? Like, this isn't okay. Mm -hmm. Like, but something's clearly going on with you. So I just want to know how I can help you so we can find a pathway to support mm -hmm. you, but also support the film. So do we need to replace you for a couple of days? Like, what is it that we need to do so that you're good, but we're also good? And she was like, I've I've never had a producer like mm. say that to me before. I've always felt like I've had to like kind of mm. hide in the shadows and still deliver on the job because she, I guess she's ever had producers that weren't really paying attention either. And mm. I was like really sad by that, that this woman who was well into her 40s, uh, I don't know how long she'd been in the business, had not had that level of just humanity bestowed upon mm. her, right? And I was like, dang, like that's that's real. And we worked it out and we found a pathway forward and turns out she was going through some really crazy personal stuff. Cause you know, your life is not on production's time. Like life still yeah. happens. Right. Exactly. Um, and you have to like be mindful. Now, of course there are people who can sometimes abuse the kindness of others and that's not what we're talking about here, but I, I agree. And so, you know, I, I wonder if you could distill it what is one misconception that you think people have about producers or about producing? Oh man. Um, you know, for me, in my experience, the misconception I've had is that like, I think you, you actually said it like, like we're, we're terrible people mm. that we only care about, like, I think it's like, we only care about the money and we yeah. don't care about people. 
Um, and I think my thing has always been, uh, even if I know I don't have any more money, I was still like, I, I want to I wanna make sure the person feels heard. Even if I know I cannot do it, um, I think it's about being as honest as possible and kind of going, listen, like, you know, what's the issue? Tell me. But then also being like, here's where I'm at. Like, I, 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 I want to help you. But yeah, this is the reality of our situation. So therefore, I cannot. And I think what I've learned is that, especially from doing the other stuff, is transparency takes you so much further, as opposed to doing the power move of like, I'm the producer, just do what I say. Mm. Um, but I find it like, and I find it each time is that thing of, um, it's the producer, you shouldn't say anything around them because, you know, they're going to fire you or whatever that is um, consistently. And I'm always going, guys, I'm pretty chill. Like, if there's an issue, just talk to me. Like, if I call you to my office, it's not because you're in trouble. I'm just going to say, hello, hi, how are you doing? How's your day going? Like, it's fine. Like, <laughs> yeah. I did that to an actor on a set recently. Like, we you know, she there was an issue that she was having, and I wanted to give her some reassurance. So I just said, oh, when she's done, just, like, she was doing some sittings, and I was like, just send her my way. And she came in and we spoke about it and she was like, oh yeah, thanks for having a conversation. And then she was like, I thought I did something wrong because they told me to come to your office. And I was like, why? I mean, I want to ha- make sure you're comfortable um, to yeah. come to us with anything because currently you're the person that isn't happy. Um, we can make things work for you. And I think this, the misconception is literally yeah. producers are like awful people who yeah. care about the money and not people. And to be fair, like I said, we're we're combating that stereotype that has been set for us and and there are some terrible producers who are terrible people who only care yeah. about the money that is a, a fact like you know it's an industry full of humans and different different with different whys uh, let's say yeah and so um but i do feel like in in been doing this podcast for so long now a lot of i feel a lot of hope and optimism because it feels like the producers of our generation have a really different approach to the work and generally Mm. speaking i find that the women do as well i think there is a more nurturing Mm. way to look at the work and it's why one could say women generally make better producers because there's a, a natural tendency towards that collaboration and nurturing spirit of creating that that you know space for everyone so Mm -hmm. i i totally agree but i feel hopeful that we're changing the tides you know and how we show up and and how we can be an example to others um because that's the thing too is it's modeled right Mm -hmm. if you show up on a set and you go that's the producer and she's super chill and low-key and she's like wearing a hoodie and doesn't like she's just okay like I can be like that too, right? Versus, I think when I was coming up too, like I for a long time was a victim of having to be, I thought I had to be this hyper-masculine version of myself to get Mm -hmm. respect because Mm -hmm. that's what I had seen modeled by women who had come before me, who were, had come up during a different industry. And so I had to be this like, not an asshole, but this tougher, harder version of myself that never felt authentic. And it took some time for me to understand how to how to be both, right? Like it's not that you're mm. a soft person, but the the beauty of of being female is that we can tap into our feminine energy more easily, and that is not a disservice. In fact, that's what makes us unique in our approach mm-hmm. and being able to juggle between those two energies. And so once I figured that out for myself, it was like the floodgates open, and maybe it wasn't apparent to anyone but me, but I started to have a much better experience. And the journey mm. for me personally was a lot more rewarding, you know? 
That is so, you know, because I, I also think that the industry, I mean, like, like we were saying before, as it is, it, it's a space in which it makes you think you have to be these things. Because I think I, I was on a set once and like I go to set I wear my tracksuit and I'm just like, chill. Like, that's just me because, you know, life is too short. I want to be comfortable. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, you know, I think when you're, when you're around like um, men who feel the need to be, to be seen as being powerful, mm. um, what ends up happening sometimes is like, you subconsciously kind of like, also rise to that level because because you, because you're trying to like um prove your point and no no I'm I'm your boss like it should be right. to me right and so I think sometimes what because I know it happened to me a few times where um I was like okay am I too nice in this situation even though the situation didn't call for me to be harsh but it was just, it's a thing in which somebody else is kind of like trying to show or throw their weight around and so you feel like part of you gets drawn into that battle of like who has more power here and when I look back at it like it, you know it doesn't really matter because ultimately as per the role you're the producer so yeah. your decision is a, is a final decision whether or not that person is trying to um I mean I, I think for me it was was more a case because because I am younger and the people I was working with they're way older than me so I think it's always that thing of like, who is this person? Who is this child on me, the set? Who is this yeah. child telling me? Dude, <laughs> yeah. I've been working 20 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like, I, I don't know how tall you are, but I'm 5'2 and I look a lot younger than I am. And so my whole career, you know, while I've been very fortunate to never have suffered some of the horrors we hear other women experience during the Me Too movement, I certainly have been verbally harassed or you know called yeah. sweetie or been mis- you know sort of uh what's the word just belittled in the, the vocabulary from men but um mm-hmm. you know it's like it is what it is it's changing slowly it is what it is. but you know yeah um but you know i want to shift gears and just be mindful of time um one of the things i like to talk about on the show is this the lifestyle component of what we do the mental health component of what we do yeah it's a industry in a career full of peaks and valleys. And, mm. um, you know, for me, when I've been in the lulls of my career, it's, I've always been fascinated by how other people get through those challenging times. Like I remember one of my favorite podcasts, which actually I highly was inspired by in building this is a show that we have here in America called How I Built This with Guy Raz. Mm. And he essentially talks to entrepreneurs on how they built their businesses, right? And he had this one episode. Um, with with a, a she's a fashion designer um i'm blanking on her name right now but but essentially he he was like okay so then 7 years pass and then you finally release this purse and then it's like a hit what was that like right and i'm like i want to talk about the 7 years like what mm. did you do during those 7 years when shit was not going well for you and you were not like things were just in that murky stage of life and so i'm obsessed with wanting to understand how people navigate those challenging times for themselves. And mm. in some interviews, you've mentioned that, you know, you don't like stress and that you seem to <laughs> not be a really anxious person. So I'm curious, like, <laughs> what this has looked like for you in your journey? What tools do you use and how, yeah, how you've navigated these lulls to to keep going? Because um, it, it's such a hard business, right? It is a hard business. And I, I mean, I think in later, in in later years, therapy 
became yeah <laughs> and now it's so useful I mean, uh, yeah although it's funny because I always have to explain to my therapist what I do because they're like I don't understand your job yeah um <laughs> just but, send them this podcast episode maybe they'll, they'll be <laughs> maybe like they'll get oh, it okay <laughs> <laughs> um but you know in the beginning I'm not gonna lie it was hard because I think I was still figuring out so I was figuring out like am I doing the right thing even though I was like I want to be a producer but you know when things are not moving or happening you're like should I be a producer am I a producer what am I doing um and to be honest with you it was like I, I had some really amazing friends who just kept me going um because there were times where I mean there was a point where I was homeless um and wow. I had friends who took me in for like for like it was it was a weird weird time it was like I had a play on which is sold out but me and my me and my friend I was sleeping in her bed because I had nowhere to stay and my stuff was in a friend's house somewhere else and it was I remember sitting there going oh I've got no flat but at least I got a sold out play it's gonna be <laughs> take your wins where you can yeah. <laughs> but, um, but but you know and I and I look back my friends remind me now nah, they're like you know Sometimes when I'm like, oh my God, things are so hard. You're like, Joy, you've been through worse, literally. Mm. But I think I had to figure out where to start on how I, how I was coping. I don't, know if, I don't know if I was coping. I think I was just like going through life. Um, but friends played a huge part. But also I think the times in my life where I've had, um, I've had bigger things happen, um, which which now I use as inspiration, my writing. So for instance, uh, I was 25, I found myself seeking asylum in, the, in this country. So I was sort of like in this weird space of, I guess, not, I don't know, fighting for your life sounds so dramatic, but you're, you're in the space of fighting to stay in the place that you call home mm-hmm. for so many levels. So, I mean, when I was going through that, um, I had a good friendship network that really kept me going. Um, I really like in later life, I dealt with the bum of all that stuff. And then, you know, fast forward, I make a couple of films and then, you know, I find myself homeless after that. And I think what kept me going was the dream. Mm. Like I really, I really believed, especially after the asylum seeking thing, the, the asylum seeking happened and I got my stay. I think for me at that point in time, that was when I was like, oh, I'm going to make this happen. Like, this is, this has to happen because I didn't go through all of that to not get to where I want to be. So there was this, this kind of like tunnel vision where my thing is that I'm going to make films. I'm going to make films. And I, I had a, it was, I was saying to my friend, like, it was when around that same time, I said to myself, I want to get to a point where, um, where I'm now basically where I have a company and I've got some investment in it I didn't know how I was going to do it but I was like that's where I'm going that's where I'm going um so what kept me going was just this drive that I could not have been through all that stuff for nothing and not make it yeah for nothing it's like it has to count for something it has yeah it has to mean something um and but now I'm all about mental I'm all about like therapy I'm all about like meditation Mm. I'm all about because because during that time I didn't actually deal with the emotion of stuff happening because I was just like I need to I, I need to make it um and also I think I was kind of trying to prove to my family that 
I am like what I'm doing is for a reason that I'm not just because I think you know they were all like oh just go get a job in all these different places but I think in my mind I was so determined this is what I have to do I'm going to prove it to you so it took me a while to kind of get out of that mindset of I have to prove something and when I had made um a loose story I was still in this mindset of like mm. I have to prove and I was like what am I proving I'm just, I'm well, who were, who are I you proving to. it to? Who did you feel like you had to prove it to? Your parents? Well, I feel like, I ha- yeah, my family. And family. it was so, but I think that was because like my, my, my mother, my brothers, but that was because I, I, I have, I was just on this sort of like tunnel vision for such a long time that I, I hadn't stopped to reassess. Um, but that's where mm. therapy comes in. It kind of makes you stop to kind of go, what are you actually doing now? Where are you trying to get to? Um, so I, I stopped and I was like, okay, I, the things I want to do, I am doing. And I have to kind of consistently remind myself that because sometimes it's so easy to slip into um, my tunnel vision from before. Yeah. Do you feel like you have made it? I'm making it. You're making it. it. It's, it's a yeah. process. There are, uh, there are things I haven't done. Um that I want to do but I think I think in terms of the the visibility how we see black stories how we see queer stories and how and also just like seeing other black female producers here makes me feel like okay the things I want to do they're happening um and also being in a position where telling queer stories doesn't feel like a niche anymore it's happening yeah you know but I'm still, they're, they're, they're yeah. bigger things that I want to do. So I'm kind of like still on that journey. I love that. What's the legacy you hope to leave behind? <laughs> oh, God, legacy. To be honest with you, I think for me, it is the body of work. Because um, so we, so me and Tom, who runs the company, because Tom came in this year and we, we produced together. And the one thing that brought us together was that we both love killer films because we're very much like, we wanted to, we wanted to be able to make films out of the UK that um, had integrity, were queer or not queer, but just, they were just a different, they had queer energy behind it in whatever shape or form that is, right? Um, And I think for me, the legacy is really about being able to be here 20 years later and be like, this is our body of work. And we've we've helped to shape um, a certain aspect of UK cinema globally. Like people can look at our work and be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely these guys. And I I know their films, but also our films have impact, some sort of social impact that it's a tiny change. I don't expect us to like change the world, but you know, change happens in tiny moments. And yeah. for me, it's about making work that allows those conversations to happen. Um, so the legacy for me is just to still be here 20, 25 years later um, and being able to make work, uh, whether it's with new filmmakers or filmmakers that we have relationships with, I think it's consistently challenging ourselves, you know? Um, yeah. I, I love what we do. You know, I love that. What do you love most about it? Um, the people. <laughs> yeah, it's the people. I think you know we're essentially parents. All of us. We 
we take these projects, we incubate them, we give birth to them, and then we help them grow. And suddenly they're 18 or 16 or whatever, and then they're in the world and they're living their own life. And um, <laughs> I kind of love that about what we do. It's, um, so for me, each project feels personal, yeah. even though it's not like me, it just feels like we're consistently part of these, of these beautiful journeys. Um, and when the film goes out and it does what it does and you see how it affects people, I think that is, that is the part I'm always so happy about. When someone says to you, um, I'm so happy you made this film because I got to see myself or you changed my life in this way or we are doing, we're doing things that I think art should do, which is to touch people and change people. And um, like emotionally, it, it, should, it should affect you. Yeah, and I, and that's a bit I love. I think that I think that comes at working with some beautiful people, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's like like tends to attract like, and so if that's the vibe and the frequency you're putting out, then I'm sure that yeah. you're only attracting all of those incredible collaborators. And so I'm excited. You know, I hope we can pencil in a date in 20 years from now, whether that's a podcast yeah. <laughs> or a VR experience that we can create together yeah. and and catch up on the legacy you have built because it seems like you're very much on that pathway and I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for you. I'm Thank excited you. that we get to live in a time. I mean, it's not perfect, but that there is true change happening and it has been for mm -hmm. a while and that is women that we get to live in a time where we can have these conversations and these stories are mm -hmm. getting told more and more and you know, it, it gives me hope. I think that there's a lot, especially right now, that is uncertain. I mean, it's always uncertain and the industry is constantly mm. changing, but I find that the this does not feel like a like a just a, a moment in time. I think this is the, the mm. part of the change, you know? And that really yeah, excites me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. I think um it's pivotal. And and I'm I i can not wait to see what everyone does next or is doing because I think there's it's such a good time to see so many interesting things that you we wouldn't have seen like five years ago. Yeah. Or pre-pandemic, I think. And that for me is quite exciting. Yeah. It's like our own little renaissance. I mean, I feel like the film industry <laughs> is always in a constant stage of like dark ages, <laughs> renaissance. It's like, but it cycles very quickly. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, this has been so lovely. We are getting to the end. Before I let you go, I have this fun lightning round of fun five questions that I like to do with guests. Okay. Okay, so here is the lightning round. First question. What's a song that teleports you to a happy place? Um, Britney Spears. Um, oh my God, the title just left my head. What was her first song? Baby One More Time? Yeah. Okay, Britney yes. Spears, baby One More Time. Love Britney. I love that. Okay. What is the latest piece of art that moved you? It could be a book, a film, a show, etc. Mm, it was a film, Capernaum, by Nadine Labaki. Okay. Fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. Gym. Helps ease the, the gym. Stress. Yeah, the gym. Love it. Love it. Okay. The fourth question. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. It's actually a piece of art that I bought uh, from a friend. It's just of a woman. Um, it's just like the photograph of a woman but I just hang it over like um, it's over there somewhere but it's just like it feels like there's somebody protecting me or at least watching over mm. me and whenever I look at it I feel like ah, oh, 
someone's got my back. It's just like, yeah. I don't know. It feels, it makes me feel like I'm not alone. I love it. Would you be willing to share a photo of it with us so we can sh- share it with everybody on social? Yeah, I'll share a photo. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So this is the final question. And there's a show here in America. I don't know if you know, it's called, it was called, it's no longer on air, but it was called Inside the Actor Studio. Um, And it basically interviewed, it was interviewing actors on stage uh, about their careers. And it was also part of the inspiration for this. I've always dreamed of doing an Inside the Actor Studio with producers where we really dissect their careers um, and their journeys. And it's not about press for a film, but anyway, so borrowing from inside the actor studio, there's a question that the host of that show asks every actor at the end. And the question was inspired by the French journalist Bernard Pivot. And the question is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Okay. Um, you've done well. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I love it. So simple. Yeah, you've done well. Yeah. Love it. That's it. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. This has been so much fun. Like I said, just great to capture a little bit of your journey and your wisdom. Um, It's really helpful for for all of us to have this like little documented moment in time. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Thanks so much for tuning in and doing this life thing with me. If you like the show, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Angle on Producers. And I'll see you next week. Beijos. <laughs>